What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Freshly Squeezed podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Jasinski, but feel free to call me Juice. Today is the first ever episode of this podcast, and I'm excited to get started and just see what happens. And I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to give me a quick listen. Today, we're going to begin with the second week of the college football playoff rankings that were released earlier tonight. What I think of the top four and some really surprising decisions that were made by the committee. Uh, We're going to go to who I think can sneak their way in as the season goes on. And we'll finish up with the drama going on in Tampa between Bruce Arians and his star quarterback, Tom Brady. So the second week of the college football playoff rankings just came out and there were some surprises to say the least. I think that there's always a lot of discussion about whether the rankings are right, whether they're fair, uh, whether they're putting the the best teams in the four-team playoff that happens at the end of the year. And I think that this year there's... Uh, a consensus that, that yeah, the, the four best teams are in there right now. Alabama looks like they're the clear number one team. No one's really given them a, a issue at all. Um, they seem like they are clicking on offense. Mac Jones has progressed incredibly since last year, and he, you know, picked up the reins from Tua, and he, he looked good then, and he looks even better now. I, I personally think that he's a a dark horse candidate for the Heisman. He's certainly playing well enough to be in the conversation. Um, he's probably not putting up some of the the touchdown numbers needed to get that award, but he is not going to be a reason why Alabama can't win. Um, then you have Notre Dame next. Everyone was pretty critical of Notre Dame heading into the year, and as as most people are, they they haven't showed up in the big games for pretty much 30 years now and and they get a lot of their their love based on their name um but they came out this year and they beat albeit a depleted clemson roster they beat the number one team in the country and they seem very deserving of their ranking they they had a very commanding a very strong performance on on friday afternoon against north carolina and uh, uh, pretty much controlled that whole game from start to finish. Uh, so, you know, they have their win against Clemson. They've looked good against their other ranked opponent that they played against. Uh, deserving of that number two spot. We'll see what, what they look like when it comes to a, a you know a rematch against Clemson or what, what looks like will be a rematch against Clemson. Will they be able to replicate that performance against Trevor Lawrence and uh, Clemson defense as a lot of their guys back. I'm not sure, but they are deserving of that ranking and, and being ahead of Clemson, who's at number three. Um, and this, I think, is where you start to see some of the holes in, in the, the committee because at the end of the day, they're just people with opinions, which is like me and all the people that you would see on TV, like Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith and uh, Shannon Sharp, and you have people in the room who are going to make emotional decisions. And 
I think this top four makes sense. I personally would have Clemson at number four. I would have Ohio State at number three just because I think that, that they are a better team and they're undefeated at this point. But there's no strong metric that we can hold this committee to when evaluating the teams. So they can say, yeah, Clemson is the number three team because we see that they have the one loss in overtime at Notre Dame with the depleted roster. They're, they're the defending runner-ups from last year. They've been consistently uh, competitive and have shown that they can win a national championship with this quarterback. And then they can also say, well, Ohio State, you know, they're the number four team. They're, they've only played four games here, but they look like they are similar to the Ohio State teams of the past who have gone out and dominated and and put themselves in positions to compete for a national title. But there is no clear cut this is who should be ranked here, this is who should rank, be ranked here, and here is why. It's all opinion. When you go into their selection process, this is what they've been following since the playoff committee was installed. They rank based off championships won. We're talking about conference championships. This is the criteria they consider. Strength of schedule, head-to-head -head competition, and comparative outcomes of common opponents. So that's great and all, but that leaves so much up for interpretation. And in the past, they haven't followed these things. Championships one is the number one ranked thing here, but they've made an exception for Notre Dame in the past who doesn't play a conference championship game. They've also made an exception for an Ohio State team that got completely blown out by Clemson in a year where they didn't play for the Big Ten title game, and a team in Penn State that had Trace McSorley, Mike Gesicki, Saquon Barkley, were left out in favor of a team that had one more win than them. And Penn State had the head-to-head -head win versus Ohio State. Now, the committee said, well, Ohio State has one less loss, and we just think they're the better team. And they can do that because it's just people in a room discussing their opinions and they don't have math and metrics to help rank them to back their decisions up. This is what a lot of fans asked for. They felt that the BCS was flawed because it only looked at the numbers. And now we're in this position where it's just up to people to decide. The committee has Cincinnati at seven, which I personally think is fine. They're in the AAC. They they haven't really played anyone to for me to say, oh, Cincinnati deserves to be up there. They struggled against a UCF team that's underwhelmed this year. They'll have a chance to play against a ranked Tulsa team, and they'll probably have to play them at least twice. So they'll have a a way to, you know, impress the committee. But they haven't really played anyone, so I'm okay with that seven. But you have Georgia at, at six and two at number eight. Iowa State at seven and two at number nine. And the most egregious one, and one that I don't think anyone has talked about yet, North Carolina at six and three is number 17. They are ahead of an undefeated Coastal Carolina team, a 3-0 USC team, 
who fell two spots, I, I, I guess, for not playing. Uh, I, I don't really understand why USC has fallen if they haven't lost. But again, this is the committee. They're allowed to do what they want. Marshall, 7-0. and Behind a six and three North Carolina team, who lost to a, a Florida State team who is completely in shambles. They haven't been able to play games the past couple of weeks. They don't look like the Florida State of the past. They look, they couldn't look farther from it. Tulsa at five and one, Louisiana at eight and one, Oregon at three and one. But a, a six and three North Carolina team at seventeen, they were at nineteen last week. And lost and did not control the game. It wasn't a loss where they led Notre Dame for most of the game. They dominated statistically and they just let one get away. No, they lost by two touchdowns. They got blanked in the second half. They could not get anything going offensively. And Notre Dame was able to dominate for most of that game. That game, if you watched it, the score... Yeah, the people will say, well, Notre Dame scored late. Yeah, Notre Dame had a long drive where North Carolina could not get off the field, scored a touchdown, looked like the number two team in the country, and put away a North Carolina team that had been potent on offense. They scored 17 points. Statistically, they didn't play with Notre Dame. And then when you look at the score, they lost by two touchdowns. They moved up two spots. They're six and three. They weren't five and three and beat Notre Dame. No, they were six and two and they lost. And they moved up two spots to number 17. The AP poll doesn't have them ranked. And I don't understand why they're ranked in the college football playoff because this is the one that matters. The AP poll, it's great until this comes out. The AP poll is normally like, okay, this is where we think these teams will line up. But this is what determines where the bowl games, what bowl games happen. This is what determines who plays for the championship. And you have people in there who want the ACC to look better, who want the SEC to look better. All these people have connections to these institutions and to these conferences. USC, a Pac-12 team, very underrepresented in this committee process, fell two spots. And North Carolina lost a game, is 6-3, and and jumped two spots in these rankings. I don't understand how that's possible. I don't understand why that's not a serious red flag. But I think that it's very telling that this committee is far from perfect. And, and not that people were like, oh, well, they're pretty pretty darn close. You know, they, they get it right most of the time. That is awful. If anyone who watches football saw North Carolina play Notre Dame, looked at their record and said, oh, okay, they were 19 last week, they lost. Maybe you could argue around that 24, 20, 23, 25, the bottom of the rankings. A lot of people will be saying, no, they, they shouldn't be in there anymore. They have a loss to Virginia. They have a loss to Florida State. Now they have a loss to Notre Dame. They're not a top 25 team. But the committee, which is the most important committee in college football, saw that score, saw the name North Carolina, and said, yep, they're up two spots. I hope that this was a mistake. I hope that they just put something 
out to the media and said, this is it without realizing, oh, shoot, this is, you know, one version before we finalize it. Because there's there's no explanation for why North Carolina has moved up two spots with a loss. But like I said, that highlights the fact that these people are full of opinions, are tied into these conferences. And and the thing is that North Carolina being ranked higher will look better for the two front runners in the ACC in Notre Dame and Clemson. And it makes the other teams in the ACC look better who have beaten North Carolina, who will have to play North Carolina. It's this part of the rankings that I don't think gets looked at enough. You can always argue about your your top eight, your top ten. There's always going to be, well, you know, why is Ohio, why is Iowa State at number nine when Miami is seven and one? Their only losses to Clemson that they should on paper be valued higher than a two loss Ohio State uh, Iowa State team. A Georgia team at six and two who has two double digit losses on their their record. At number eight, shouldn't Miami at seven and one be, be valued more than them? You know, those are understandable arguments that can be made. But the committee will be able to point to Georgia's strength of schedule, strength of record, that they'll have they'll have ways to say, this is why we have them here. We understand that you see it this way, but here's what we're we're evaluate evaluating them at. This bottom half, I think, gets just tossed to the side and and not even considered. And it's not right because this stuff is still important. This stuff is what helps strength of record and the strength of schedule for these upper echelon teams. And so you have this love fest for the SEC and the ACC, and it's all helping boost the look of their top teams. See, look. Notre Dame played UNC. They're number 17. They're a good team. They they had that commanding victory. North Carolina shouldn't be in there, but they are. And that, and that's something that I think this committee needs to to really take a hard look at as something that they have they have consistently failed at. Really valuing these number 15 through 25 rankings. Because they're still important, and they they try and slide these teams in where they clearly shouldn't be. And I think that the North Carolina one really highlights they don't look at where these teams are falling. They look more at, we need the ACC to look better, so here's a team who was ranked here, and a couple teams lost, so we're going to move them up. And it's just... A disregard for what these other schools have done and this is a weird year i get it I, I normally coastal carolina could be undefeated and we wouldn't be talking about them at all but it's 2020 and we are and coastal carolina should not be behind north carolina at this point liberty should be ranked marshall seven and oh why are they behind north carolina wisconsin's two and one wisconsin's played one good opponent this year lost and can't put a team together with all their COVID issues. They're two and one at 16. No one can evaluate them because they've played three games. Michigan and Penn State were ranked in the top 15 this year. And then they started playing games and we saw, well, they weren't exactly what we thought they were. And that's what happens with college football. And the college football playoff 
doesn't release rankings at the start. They wait until the year kind of gets going and it shows what team strengths are. It shows, uh, you know, where, where teams have flaws and it, it, it really gives you a better picture of, well, these teams are the teams that are good. These are the teams that have underperformed and, and they're able to get a, a more accurate ranking. But it, it, this bottom part just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. They have an ability to talk their way out of a lot of their decisions. They don't always stick to the protocol that they have, which is already vague in nature. But North Carolina moving up two spots on the loss should be the nail in the coffin that this committee needs to be reworked. There needs to be some value of numbers. And whether it be looking at the AP poll before the before they make cast their votes, whether it be having a numbers metric that that is weighed in on and and something that they position their picks against what the computer tells them, there has to be something that can hold them accountable for the decisions that they're making because it ultimately is affecting these schools' bottom dollar, these schools' national brand, and the ability for these schools to recruit. It all trickles down to what this committee puts as, this is where this team is, this is where this team team is, and that's that. Now, after all that bashing that I've done on the committee, you might be thinking, well, what good is there here? And um, now with all that being said, there is some outrage that I don't think has been very warranted against where some of these teams have been ranked. And, and the big one for me is Cincinnati. Cincinnati's sitting at seven. They're eight no on the year. And like I talked about earlier, they're going to play a ranked Tulsa team uh, twice later on in the season. So they're going to be able to pick up a, a more quality win, at least more quality compared to what they currently have. And a lot of people are saying, well, there's no path for Cincinnati. They're seven. Well, if they had been six or five, you know, we'd, we'd feel much more confident that, that they would be able to get in. But it's just, no, the committee is not valuing them at all. And and. And they don't have a shot. And I, I, I don't agree with that at all. Um, I get it. Seven is not as close to four or the top four as, you know, Texas A&M, who's ranked number five and Florida, who's number six. But the thing is, four of these teams ahead of them are going to play each other. Alabama is going to play Florida in the SEC championship game. And if Clemson wins this week, they will be playing Notre Dame in the conference championship. So with with those four teams playing each other, there is going to be a natural trickle down for some of these teams in front of them, at least two. Now, there is a scenario where they get completely screwed if a Florida upset of Alabama happens and a Clemson beats Notre Dame, because then you have a Bama team who has looked like the best team in the country all year and a Notre Dame team who's now split their series against Clemson, that would be worst case because it it would be nearly impossible to argue Cincinnati over Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Florida. But the likelihood that that happens is, is very low. I, I don't think that Florida has a real shot against Alabama Alabama's defense is good enough to slow down Florida's potent attack. Uh, Florida is very one-dimensional in throwing the football. And I think that 
if you give Alabama a week to prepare for that, they're, they're going to be able to slow down Kyle Trask enough that that Florida passing game is is not going to be enough to keep them in, in the game. Mac Jones and, and the Bama offense is, is just too good. And I think most, if not all, people are going to pick Alabama at the, in that game. So let's just take then Bama wins that, which is what everyone's expecting. So Florida, who's one ahead of Cincinnati, is going to fall. So Cincinnati now is looking around six. If Notre Dame beats Clemson, then Clemson is not going to be in that top four. And you have a scenario where Texas A&M has one loss at, at the moment. If Auburn beats them, they're going to fall. Now, obviously, this is a lot of ifs. And that's, I think, people's issue is that Cincinnati doesn't have total control of their destiny. But Texas A&M doesn't have full control. You know, it's they are in a position where if something happens, they absolutely have a shot. And I think that a lot of people are saying, well, they have no chance. Okay, they they don't control their destiny here. They're not in the top four. So if they win out they're they're pretty much guaranteed that spot. But there is a real possibility that Alabama beats Florida, Florida falls, Notre Dame could beat Clemson, Clemson falls out. And then you're if that situation plays out. Let's say Ohio State makes the Big Ten championship game and wins, they come in. And then it's a conversation between Texas A&M and Cincinnati. And you have A&M right now with one loss, which was a blowout versus Alabama. And Cincinnati could have quality wins against Tulsa. And they could say, we're undefeated. We've played more games and we've looked the part, which they have most of the season. They, they've looked like they could play with those teams. And then it's just a discussion. So that there's a there's a definite possibility that Cincinnati gets in that way. They have to be huge Alabama fans from here on out, and they have to be huge Notre Dame fans because that's what makes that path easy. Notre Dame loses to Clemson. Then it gets very difficult for them to get in because Notre Dame already has that head-to-head. They have the win against what is right now the number three team in the country. If they lost to that team, it's not going to hurt them enough to get Cincinnati above them. But if they win, Clemson is out. And that's where their path is right there. Not to mention the craziest conference at this point in college football, which is the Big Ten. It has been before the season even started with the way that they handled their postponement, cancellation, back to postponement, back to shortened seat. It, it was a mess. And we are seeing that play out in this regular season because no one is what we thought they would be except for Ohio State. The conference is basically upside down with a lot of what the experts thought would happen. Ohio State has been that team to beat for the past since Urban Meyer was there, almost a decade now. They might not make their conference championship. I don't understand. I don't think there's a way that they get in over Cincinnati or a conference champion. And if if Ohio State doesn't play versus, you know, it could be Northwestern or Iowa at this point, that's going to be a gaping hole because they haven't looked convincing this year compared to the other years that that they've been in this in this discussion. Their best win right now is a seven-point win at home against Indiana, who unfortunately their starting quarterback just tore his ACL is going to be out for the year. Indiana is probably 
they're going to be struggling for the rest of the year. But still, an Indiana team that is not as talented as Ohio State, at least shouldn't be. And their their other win, notably, was a 14-point victory against a 1-5 Penn State. That's their notable wins right now. They are 77th in the country in strength of schedule. They've already missed two games. If they miss one more, they're not getting into that conference championship. And a 5-0 or 6-0 Ohio State team is not going to be enough to get into this playoff without a conference championship. I think Ohio State fans are nervous. I think Big Ten fans are nervous because if Ohio State doesn't get into that title game, I don't think there's a shot that a Big Ten school gets into this playoff. And at the start of the year, there was a thought, well, maybe they might get two with Ohio State and Penn State or even Ohio State and and Michigan or or even Minnesota if, if they play well. And, and now there's a real possibility that there is not a Big Ten team represented this year. But that is great for Cincinnati. If, if you're Cincinnati, you're looking at this going, well, maybe we do control our own destiny. If you win out, you have a great shot of getting in and winning out is going to be challenging that that if they don't take Tulsa seriously they could end up losing that and then this discussion doesn't matter Cincinnati's going to drop and, and you know well you had your shot but I'll, I'll tell you what's great is we could have a Ohio State Michigan game where the play on the field is not going to determine who goes to the conference championship Jim Harbaugh this time next week, might be sitting there in his office with a chance to keep Ohio State out of the Big Ten title game, not by playing, but by not playing. And that would be extremely petty, but I think it would be completely plausible that Michigan suddenly gets a bunch of COVID cases and they're over the threshold, and then they're just not able to play. And it's not like, oh, well, we don't want to play. Medically, if they can't play, they can't play. And it would suck for Ohio State, but for Michigan fans, you've had a rough year and a rough go of things with Harbaugh when it comes to Ohio State. Wouldn't that be a little icing on the cake? of what a really bad season has been to say, well, hey, at least we kept Ohio State out of that conference championship game. And Harbaugh might be out the door, going back to the NFL, and he might not have beat Ohio State, but he might be able to get a leg up on them in the end. Tampa Bay. They were the talk of the football world when they signed Tom Brady this offseason. They've got a multitude of weapons. They brought Gronk in. They just signed Antonio Brown. It was a team put together designed for a win now mentality, and they have all the pieces to do it. But what's becoming increasingly evident is that the two most important pieces being the quarterback and the head coach, are not working right now. But I think that there's a lot of evidence 
that goes into why Tom is not the problem. I think that his head coach right now is doing everything that I think he can to make this relationship unbearable and not work out. Bruce Arians does not have a head a Super Bowl as head coach. He's coached a lot of great talent, hasn't been able to get them over the hump, and he hit the lottery when the greatest quarterback of all time decided, yep, Bruce, I'm in, let's get started. And he signed Tom Brady. He went after Tom Brady. He said, this is who I want as my quarterback. This is who we can win with. And the expectation was Super Bowl, which is what Brady has set for himself over the years. And with the talent that's on that team, it should be expected. But it's becoming increasingly evident that Bruce doesn't know how to use Tom. And I think that's been the most incredible part of all this is that you had 20 years of film on this quarterback to understand what he does well, how he wants to play, how he's been successful, and and what type of play calling he thrives in 20 years that all got thrown out the window when he got there and and Bruce Arians said nope we're running my system it works and we're gonna make it work with you which okay you with all the talent that you've accrued with Chris Godwin Mike Evans Gronk Antonio Brown you would think yeah I mean it's gonna be hard for that offense to not perform but they are running four verticals, and go routes 90% of the game. Essentially, taking the football field, which is broken down into thirds, and they're only focused on the upper third, which is the most difficult part of the field to complete on. Tom's whole career has been using the bottom two thirds to set up that upper third. He knows how to use checkdowns. He knows how to get off of his first read to a second read and knows where the mismatches are. He utilizes the running backs in that passing game and the slot receivers because there are times in the game where the weakness of the defense are guys on those skill positions where they're not going streaking up the field past someone, but instead they're cutting under, they're cutting in, they're finding a soft spot. And it's the genius of Tom of understanding I don't have to go vertical all game to get a win. I need to move the ball down the field, and it doesn't matter how it looks as long as you get the ball in the end zone. So this has worked for Tom for 20 years. Nine Super Bowl appearances, six wins. Everyone who's watched football knows the accolades, and he knows where Tom sits on the Mount Rushmore of football. So why would a head coach take that and say, Tom, at 43, you're going to turn into Brett Favre because that's what the Tampa Bay offense is. It's a chuck the ball as far down the field as possible all game. Don't use the run game. Don't use the play action. And, hey, we're just going to beat you over the top. That's not how Tom wins. That's not how he has won, barring the year with Randy Moss, who none of those guys on the Bucks are. It is hard for me to look at this 
and say, yeah, this is Tom's fault. Because the coach recruited him. The coach and Bruce Arians said, yeah, that guy, that's who I want. Tom, come here. Here's the weapons we have. Here's what we're going to do. And we're going to win. And you would think that a guy who everyone says is super smart, you'd think that he would say, I see what you did well. We can absolutely use these weapons here in Tampa even better than than in New England. And this is going to work out perfectly for you. We're going to have guys who can get separation easier. We're going to be able to get you to push the ball, but we're still going to set it up the way that's been so successful for you. So that's one issue. The other is that Bruce throws out the rule in coaching and in sports, which is don't engage with the media. It's something that every team talks about. The media is there to divide a locker room. The media is there to throw in wedges and hurt trust. And just they're there to cause disruption. And Bruce Arians, rather than just bringing Tom in his office and discussing things, he just talks about it to anyone willing to listen and putting the blame on his quarterback. I don't think that he understands that this team is not there for him, right? Like they have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. They were there the whole time. But all these pieces that they've brought in are there because Tom is there. Tom is the one who has had all the success. He's the one who is a proven winner. He's the one who guys want to play with. So tearing him down in the media is not going to play well in the locker room, especially if you're going after their leader, which on offense, that is Tom. That is the guy who runs the ship. I think he needs to take Bruce, needs to take a deep look in the mirror and say, I need to take some responsibility here because he has not once said, I need to be better. It has been, well, we hit those those deep balls in practice. He hasn't been hitting them. He misread the coverage. Those interceptions were his fault. I don't understand the why he's struggling so much. He needs to do this. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. This is the worst thing that you can be saying as a coach. The head coach is supposed to be the protector from the, of the team when it comes to the media. He's supposed to say short answers. He's supposed to take responsibility. You're the protector of that team. You're the voice of that team. Have those discussions with Tom behind closed doors. Don't put it out into the media so that Tom has to get a question from a reporter and he on the spot has to figure out a way to respond to something that his head coach said in front of all these cameras and these broadcasters and, and the media. Just discuss it behind closed doors. It's very well documented that Bill Belichick held Brady accountable. Every great coach will hold its star player accountable. That's how you keep respect within the team. That's how you keep an organization's, if you will have it, brand keep up, you know, the Patriot way. That's built upon the way that Bill handled Tom and all these star players and held them to the same expectations that he had guys on practice squad. So it's not that these criticisms shouldn't be happening because he's Tom Brady, because he's the GOAT. It's the way that these criticisms are happening. 
out in the media in front of everyone. They need to be happening behind closed doors with Tom so that they can have a real discussion about, okay, Tom, this isn't working. What, what, what can I do as a coach to get you in a position where we can figure this out? I think that he has vastly overestimated his offense's ability to work for anyone. I think he's taken Tom's talents for granted And he's trying to make him be something that he isn't after 20 years where he's shown exactly the type of quarterback he is. He's shown exactly what he thrives on, exactly what he can do and what he can't do. He's not a mobile quarterback. He doesn't have a cannon that can just go downfield all game. His strengths are analyzing coverage, finding the weak spots, and then hitting where the defense is most vulnerable. Tom's a leader. He knows how to win. He knows what he has to do to put his team in a position to win. He's had a lot of success. And if Bruce Arians doesn't figure out a way to use his quarterback and put his team in a position to win, he's going to start to lose this team. And this team is no longer his with how many players they've brought in. This team resembles Tom Brady. And he made the decision to bring him in. He made the decision to bring in these guys that Tom wanted. And you don't have a locker room that looks to you as the guy who's always gotten it done. They look at Tom and say, he's the one with the success. I'm going to follow him. Why are you coming after our guy? Why aren't you calling better plays? Why are you putting all of this out in the media? Why are we not winning? And I don't think that locker room is looking at Tom. I think they're looking at Bruce right in the eye. And he's starting to get nervous because he knows that if Tom wants him gone, there's a very real possibility that Bruce isn't coaching this team next year because they've gone all in. And when it works, it's great. But right now it's not working. And that means that something's going to happen. I don't know if it's this year, but it will definitely happen before Tom finishes his tenure with Tampa. Something is going to change, and I don't think that it will be him. I think that there's too much trust in the career that he's built to say, you know what, our coach is failing to utilize Tom the right way, and he's not putting us in the best position to win. 